You are tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nachumsegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Matas Weingast, and today is November 29th, 2015, 17th day in the month of Kislev, 5776. And it is a great day here on the JM Sunday and the Nachum Siegel Network. The first thing we have is a major announcement, a major Mazel Tov announcement in the uh, Nachum Siegel Network and JM and the AM family. We wish Mazel Tov to Shoshana Zamek and Kenny Rube, who became a recently, very recently engaged couple last night. And Mazel Tov to the parents, Rochelle and Mark Zamek of Teaneck, and Mira Atia and Moshe Rube of Staten Island. So a great, great Mazel Tov, a great way to start off the day. And we wish them a Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM Sunday and the Nachum Siegel Network. Unbelievable. It's really very, very exciting to uh, to hear this news, and um, it is going to be great. We're going to be talking about it, I'm sure, for weeks to come. Very, very exciting in Mazel Tov. Uh, it is, uh, it's a beautiful day outside right now, especially for the end of November. It's uh, North New Jersey area. It's about 41 degrees and cloudy, going up to 50. It's not so bad for today at all, mostly sunny. And then going down to 32, partly cloudy tonight. So that's that's pretty uh, typical for this time. In Jerusalem, though, it's 70 degrees and sunny if you're over there or heading over there. Tonight it's going to be 50 degrees and clear. If you're studying Dafyomi, it's uh, Sota Daf 70, Daf 34, excuse me, Daf 34. Hope you had a good Shabbos, a good week, and uh, my thanks everyone again for joining me here on JM Sunday. To begin the week, we're going to have morning chizuk at 7.30 and uh, the news from Israel in English live at 8 o'clock. Also, in the uh, 8 o'clock hour, I will have two guests with me this morning on the uh, on the phone. Uh, the first one is going to be an author, and uh, she has just come out with her second book, uh, with her second book, uh, and... Uh, the, the author is M.R. Atar, and she just completed and just published the second book in a trilogy called Alicia Davidson and the Ispaklaria. Her first book, which uh, was quite popular, still is, was called Alicia Davidson and the Letters of Fire. And as you can imagine, it's a series, it's a trilogy about the adventures of Alicia Davidson. So we'll find out about him, we'll find out about her and about the book. And then after that, I'll uh, be joined by... Professor Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University, he's a history professor there, 
YU is uh, starting this week. I think it's, let's see, is it going to be on Thursday? Uh, let me just double check on that. I believe it's launching, uh, Wednesday, uh, yeah, Thursday, no, Friday actually. Okay, Friday. A new massive open online course is being offered through YU Global, which is Yeshiva University's open uh, online initiative, and uh, Coursera, which is an educational technology company. And uh, it is going that that initiative will provide interested members of the public with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, as they say, to explore the cultural impact of the Arch of Titus a central artifact in both Jewish and Western history. Now, the course is titled The Arch of Titus Between Rome and Jerusalem. It's a free course, and Dr. Stephen Fine, as I mentioned, history professor at YU, will be giving the course. So we'll talk to him uh, coming up in the second hour also and find out about the course and find out about what um, what he is uh, going to be teaching and uh, about the topic. Very interesting, very fascinating topic. And, of course, we're going to be talking a little bit later about the um, Jewish Unity Initiative that Nachum Siegel is promoting in uh, Paris. And uh, that will be taking place next week on uh, Hanukkah. It's going to be uh, an amazing, amazing event. Uh, there's going to be a concert of Jewish Unity. Uh, we will talk more about that a little bit later on in the show. And uh, Nachum was uh, setting up all this last week along with Miriam. So it's something very, very exciting. It has taken on a, a life of its own, if you will, and has really uh, taken the Jewish world by storm. And uh, something very, very exciting, a very important thing, coming 11 months after the uh, terrorist attacks on the Charlie Hebdo magazine of the Hypercosher Kosher Supermarket earlier in the year. And, of course, very timely, unfortunately, with what happened with uh, what happened in Paris, uh, the uh, killings uh, two weeks ago, uh, very, very timely to have this in the show of uh, community support from around the world for the uh, community of Paris. So a lot going on. We'll talk about it some more. We're going to go to the music. That's what we do. And um, we'll start off with uh, Ellie Gerstner right here on JM Sunday, which is exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network.
I'll get it done, 
aqui quem estreou eu Bora rua Baruch Hashem, Ari Goldwag from Simcha Balibi here on JM Sunday. Before that, we heard Udi Davidi, Ki Ishmara Shabbat Light O, the Maccabees. We're getting ready for Hanukkah next week, and uh, that's from the Maccabees' um, new album, and uh, it's called the Maccabees Hanukkah. How appropriate. Before that, Eli Gersner, Gersner, he opened up our song segment today on JM Sunday. Matas Weingast with you. As we approach 7.30, it's what, 7.28 or so now, a.m. Eastern Time here on a uh, on a Sunday morning. And uh, we have, oh, a lot of things happening today. But first, again, as I mentioned at the very top of the show, Mazel Tov, going out to Shoshana Zamek and Kenny Rube on their recent, recent engagement last night. And Mazel Tov to parents Rochelle and Mark Zamek of Teaneck. And Mira Atia and Moshe Rub of Staten Island. It is an absolute pleasure to be able to announce this. Uh, our family has known the Zamics for so many years and has seen Shoshi grow up and it's just so exciting to, uh, to be able to announce this. Uh, have, are having just married off our son, Ellie, not too long ago. We know exactly what's going through their minds and what's happening and it is uh, such a great, great time. So we wish them a Mazel Tov. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, we'll hear so much more about it in the coming days and weeks for sure. Uh, and, uh, a couple of other announcements. I want to say hi to listener, uh, Stuart. He's listening from Israel. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, much appreciated. In, uh, the second hour, we're going to start off with the news from Israel in English live. And then I'll be, uh, joined by two guests, two different guests this morning. One will be, uh, M.R. Atar. She is the, uh, author of the uh, latest in the trilogy about Alicia Davidson. It's a uh, great uh, book of fiction, and uh, this one is entitled Alicia Davidson and the Ispaklaria. Her first book, Alicia Davidson and the Letters of Fire, uh, has been very popular, and I'm sure this one will be also. So again, it's a part two of the trilogy. We'll talk to her about the books. And uh, then I am going to be joined by Professor Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University, who will be talking about the new program launching on uh, Friday of, uh, by Yeshiva University, YU Global. It's a uh, course entitled The Arch of Titus Between Rome and Jerusalem. It's a free online course, and uh, we'll talk all about the uh, the course, a little bit about the Arch of Titus and uh, about YU's uh, global program that's going to be sponsoring it. So that is, uh, that's coming up. Right now, it is time for uh, Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. And, uh, as, uh, as we know, his, um, <coughs> excuse me, a little, uh, a little cough there. As we know, his words are Lazech Nishmas Rav Zev, 
Rav Yosef Halevi, and Esther Bas Rav Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We're going to be continuing with our series on Chinuch Abonim, education. The author of Kelm used to interpret the Pasuk, Chanoich Pidarkoi, that even when a person gets older and he has no one to educate him, he should continue to be Mechanech himself. He should give himself Musar. The Gemara in Ksubis tells us about Yoshavat HaMelech. When the Melech used to see a Tamun Chacham, he would stand up from his throne, he would hug him and kiss him. He would call him Rebbe, Rebbe, Murray, Murray. We see from this that even when he was older and had already had the honor of the kingdom, with all of this, he was still Mechabed Tamidei Chachomim. He gave honor to Torah scholars. We don't find there was another person giving him Musr. We must say, therefore, that he gave himself Musr all of his days. In the Shailas and Shuvas Chaim Shal, it says that we learn from here that if a person would be sitting holding the Sefer Torah and his Rebbe would walk in front of him, if there's no place to rest the Sefer, a person would have to stand even if it means that the Sefer Torah will also stand. Where do we see this from? From Yehoshaphat HaMelech. We know that HaMelech has a Sefer Torah continually in his hand. Yet, we see that he stood up for the Tamur Chacham. Hagon Rav Shalom Shvadron was a mashkiach in Yeshiva Tiferes Tzvi. The Yeshiva once had the great privilege that the Zakan Bal Musar, Hagon Rav Elia Lopian, came to visit. He gave a shear for the Bochrim of the Yeshiva. Just as Rav Lopian was about to open the door to leave, Rav Shvadron lay down on the floor. The Talmidim didn't know what was going on. Rav Shvadron should do such a thing? After the great Goin left, Rav Shvadron went to the Bim and said, I will explain to you my actions. Chazal tell us, Peve Mizabek Ba'afraglehem, in the dust of their feet. It's not metaphorical. It's not allegorical. It is real Torah Chinuch. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
צריך להתגבר מאוד בכל כוחות להיות אך שומח תומי, אך שומח תומי שצריך להתגבר מאוד בכל כוחות להיות אך שומח תומי, אך שומח תומי
second chance, yeah, it makes you move. The music's pumping, now you're jumping out of flow. Feel the music, the music make you move. You can't describe what my heart starts feeling when the music's playing. Lush and we're singing, my soul's on fire, and it lights my life, yeah. Makes me wanna jump, jump higher. Oh, oh, jump, jump higher. Hands up, here we go. Jump and jump and jump, jump and jump and jump higher. Whoa, jump and jump and jump, jump and jump and jump higher. Jump and jump and jump, jump and jump and jump higher. Whoa, jump and jump and jump, jump and jump and jump
sorry to interrupt uh, Reb Michael Nadata, uh, but uh, we have to get to the news from Israel. And uh, we had a little technical difficulty, so we're getting to it a little bit late. But um, it is, let's see, 8.02 in the morning, and it's time for our news from Israel. Hannah Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at JewishPress.com, joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Good morning, Hannah Julian. Good morning, Mathis. There were two terror attacks this morning, both in Jerusalem. A border guard police officer stabbed at the Damascus gate entrance to the old city. He's in good condition at Hadassah Ein Karim Medical Center. The stabber was a 38-year-old Arab from the Palestinian Authority. He was shot and killed as soon as he stabbed the officer, and when his body was searched, officers found a second knife. Apparently, he had plans to attack more than one person, but that plan failed. The second attack took place near a bus station on Rehov Shamgar. A woman in her 30s was stabbed in the back. She's also in good condition at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. The terrorist there was a 17-year-old from the Palestinian Authority. He tried to escape, but he was caught shortly after and taken into custody. I arrested in locations throughout Judea and Samaria, Four of them were members of Hamas, the other 11 accused in connection with individual terror activity and participating in riots. Soldiers from the Givadi Brigade also raided a neighborhood in the Hebron area and confiscated a weapons cache. Among the arms they picked up were an assault rifle, a handgun, and ammunition for the weapons. And in the Good News Department, developers of the Leviathan Natural Gas Field under Israel's coastal Mediterranean waters, have signed a letter of intent with the Dolphinus Holding Company in Egypt. Company officials have told the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange that a final agreement is expected to follow soon. Gas is expected to start flowing from the Leviathan to Egypt by way of an underwater pipeline. That's going to happen sometime in 2019 or 2020. It's a 15-year contract. And it follows a seven-year contract signed between Egypt and the developers of Israel's Tamar gas field just a few months ago. More good news if you're in Israel and looking up, Matis. It's a beautiful day. The sky is a crystal clear blue, gorgeous sunshine, warm. But it looks like clouds are moving in by tonight. And we're probably going to have rain tomorrow and probably Tuesday. A few clouds through Thursday, but by next weekend... It should clear up seasonal temperatures throughout the week. Cool at night. Keep the light jackets handy, folks. Have a great week. I'm Hannah Julian for JM Sunday. That's our news from Israel. Thanks, Hannah Julian. We'll see you next week right here on JM Sunday, exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. We'll get back to a song in a minute. Then coming up, my interview live with M.R. Attar, the author of Alicia Davidson and the Ispaklaria. That's the second in a trilogy about Alicia Davidson. We'll find out all about that. As I've been repeating this morning many times, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov to Shoshana Zamek and Kenny Rube on their recent engagement last night. A great, great Mazel Tov to the uh, JM Sunday family, the Nachum Siegel Network family, the JM and the AM family. Absolutely amazing. Mazel tov to parents Rochelle and Mark Zamek of Teaneck and Mira Atia and Moshe Rube of Staten Island. Such a wonderful, wonderful thing to wake up to and announce. And uh, it is just great. We'll hear more about it as the days and weeks go on, I am sure. 
and uh, Nachum will talk about it tomorrow. Uh, he'll also be talking about the uh, Jewish Unity Initiative that is going to take place next week, the following week, in the Paris, France. So Nachum will be talking all about that during the next few days, during the next week. Uh, following my interview with uh, M.R. Attar, we are also going to have an interview with uh, Dr. Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University, talking about his upcoming online course about the Arch of Titus. So let's go to a little bit of music. We're a little bit early for Hanukkah, but we are playing some Hanukkah music this week so that uh, we can uh, get everybody in the right spirit and the right mood. Here again, the Maccabees with Al Hanisim. Al Hanisim ve'al ha'porkan ve'al ha'kurot ve'al ha'tshuot ve'al
by Avraham Willig here on JM Sunday, 8.14 in the morning. Matis Wine guest with you. It's the 29th of November, the 17th day in the month of Kislev. It is uh, fast approaching Hanukkah in just another week or so. Time does fly, absolutely. Uh, again, we wish a Mazel Tov to uh, Shoshana Zamek and to Kenny Rube on their recent engagement last night. Mazel Tov to parents Rochelle and Mark Zamek of Teaneck and Mira Atia and Moshe Rub of Staten Island. What a wonderful, wonderful Mazel Tov. Looking forward to celebrating with the families. It is a great uh, Nachum Siegel network, Mazel Tov JM in the AM network, uh, JM in the AM Mazel Tov. It's unbelievable, and uh, it was great to hear and great to uh, to share that with you. In 
in just a minute, I'll be joined by M.R. Attar, who uh, wrote a, two books of a trilogy so far, and Alicia Davidson, so we'll find out about that momentarily. Uh, and uh, this week, Nachum will be back tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m., and uh, Nachum will be talking about, of course, the great Jewish unity initiative that's taking place in Paris next week that uh, he is heading with the uh, network, and uh, he'll talk all about the great concert, the Concert of Jewish Unity, which will be presented. So make sure to tune in. Uh, we have great programming all, all day long here on the network, of course, encore shows and great Jewish music stream. There will not be a first-run court report today because of the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, Thanksgiving holiday weekend, I guess, and uh, that will return next uh, Sunday. And Nachum will be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the airwaves my uh, guest. Her name is M.R. Attar on the book. She's known as uh, Rhonda Attar, but on the, in the book it's uh, M.R. Attar, and she is the author of Alicia Davidson uh, Trilogy, and the first two books are out. So, uh, Rhonda Attar, welcome to JM Sunday. Being on the show. Sure thing. So the first book that you wrote uh, in this trilogy, Alicia Davidson and the Letters of Fire, came out last year. Very, very popular. I read it, and it is uh, quite enjoyable. And now Alicia Davidson is continuing his adventures, and uh, the new book, which has just been released, is Alicia Davidson and the Ispaklaria. And again, as I mentioned, it's one of a trilogy. What motivated you to write this trilogy? Not only as a you know, as a story, but to to make it into a trilogy. Well, actually, I have to tell you because it's kind of like an, it goes a little bit far further back in my past. I used to have a um, Shabbat storytelling group to a whole bunch of kids, and this was like a while ago, and like fifteen twenty years ago. And the kids would all come over, and you'd give them tales of the Goanim, or I'd read whatever I possibly could on Jewish subjects, Parsha Shavuot, give them a snack. But at one point, after basically finishing all the material. Um, I also really wanted to connect the kids firsthand to this Jewish content to really spark their imagination. So what I did was I basically made up my own story about a young boy living on the most magical places in the world, which is Jerusalem. And basically all of his adventures were intertwined with stories from the Torah, the Tanakh, Talmud and legends, Jewish mysticism. And the kids were spellbound. I mean, they didn't even leave. I had them there for three years. They became even 14, 15 years old. They didn't want candy. All they wanted to hear was about Alicia. And so I actually always wanted to write the, the stories down, but I was extremely busy with my own career, which was actually in television. And so it took a long time, but then I finally got to it. And I think one of the reasons why I did get to it was because I was really fed up with what um, young adults had to read in terms of the, you know, the genre, because they have a voracious appetite, kids, for this fantasy genre. And when you look at what's available, a lot of it is just, well, either witchcraft or occult or Satanism or zombies or vampires, or here we are heading to Hanukkah, and I think probably the worst insult is even Percy Jackson, which is all back to Greek mythology. And, you know, it's pretty bizarre when you think of that, when, you know, kids are reading about um, Greek mythology or back to Zeus, when um, if we talk about celebrating Hanukkah, the basic thing that started the whole, triggered the whole Maccabean revolt was when the Greeks made the Beta Mikdash into the Temple of Olympian Zeus, and now on the 25th of Gisleg. So, right. um, and I think it's crazy when you think about it that our kids are back to all this, even with Harry Potter and Minnesota, but in Christian holidays with all their occult. And what's a shame is, is, you know, basically three things. One, that we have the biggest, most incredible treasure chest of this type of material out there. 
I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, a zombie or, you know, a vampire, which is almost like the entire young adult reading section, is, you know, one little legend that came out of Eastern Europe. We have, like, you know, enough. Our, our treasure chest is so rich, it's almost like bottomless. That's one, you know. Number two is that, you know, our stories are universal. I mean, we know that, you know, every once in a while you have to make a big block, blockbuster, whether it's on Noah, the Exodus story, right. all of our stories, it's, they're universal because they're brilliant content. And three, we've got the real thing. I mean, our stories aren't based on, you know, a bunch of, you know, I would say, real myths. Type of thing. So, you know, that's three things that are going for what we have. I just thought it was completely a shame that young kids are spending time or, like, you know, their imaginations with all of this other stuff, when we really have something that's a superior product, superior content in every way. Right, absolutely. And uh, as you read through the uh, first two books, um, you see exactly what you're saying. Uh, and, and I like the fact that you have a, uh, a glossary at the back and you have a character map in the front of, the bo- of this book, uh, which I think a lot of books should have because it, it gives easy reference. But when you talk about uh, the uh, the items uh, in the glossary, for instance, you are talking about things that are really part of our tradition, our history that that are, are real to us and not something made up. Uh, so, as children or even adults are reading this uh, these books, they are certainly getting a feel and and a comfort level, I guess, that they're reading the fantasy in a way of what Alicia Davidson is going through, but yet it is uh, steeped in um, in reality. And uh, right. it's a great combination. Now you did mention Harry Potter. We're, yeah, I have to say we're, we're a big Harry Potter family, so I, I, I'm not going to compare it to Harry uh, to Harry Potter. But uh, certainly, I'll just say in the sense of um, the uh, the writing and, and the way Alicia Davidson goes through everything, it's you know it's similar. And people who like that type of uh, story will certainly enjoy this without question. Uh, and and it is steeped in. Uh, in this uh, in this history that you talk about, so uh, Alicia Davidson is a young young boy. Tell us uh, in brief what happened in the first book. You know, little teaser and where he's going in the second book. Well, um, he's eleven years old and um, he's an eleven, and he's living in the um, Jerusalem's old city, the Jewish Quarter. And I, actually, the whole trilogy takes place in a very short amount of time. It starts on the first of Tammuz, and it actually ends on Tishbaat. For instance, the last book in the trilogy ends on Tishbaat. So we're not talking about a very long period. Okay. Um, but his world completely, you know, changes over instantly. I mean, he discovers um, something during renovations. His parents, while parents doing renovations, and um, and I, you know, I, I really wouldn't want to tell people exactly what on the story because I think that would kind of like ruin it for everybody. No, no, of course not, of course not. We'll, we'll say that he was playing with fire but when he, he found he, some things. <laughs> we can say that. He finds a, he discovers a strange stone buried right. behind the walls of his home. And then, and these, this stone ends up sending out all types of mysterious letters of fire. Mm-hmm. Okay? And these letters of fire are basically what put him into this whole other world that's going on actually in Jerusalem um, with all types of legends and mysticism. Now, what's interesting because he's actually part of a school which um, actually teaches some of this age-old mysticism, and that he's not considered looks like one of the best students, but after this happens, it like catapults him into being like he's ahead of all of his classmates. Right. And not only that, even with his school's most venerated master. And um, so all of a sudden, these unimaginable hidden powers are coming to this boy who's really clueless as to why and how he's supposed to use them. 
but slowly but surely, um, he does learn. Um, the second book actually focuses more on what this, you know, mirror stone is that he found, which is actually called the Aquaria. Mm-hmm. And he then finds out that he really doesn't even have to leave his own room to have all types of incredible experiences. I'd say a really Jerusalem kind of odyssey. And he ends up being mentored by one of the wisest human beings who ever lived. And he has incredible training sessions, and he starts getting to be coached into what he ultimately will have to do and go through in book three, which is going to lead up to Tishabad. Right. Uh, what's... Uh, 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 Ron Dottar is uh, my guest, the uh, author of Alicia Davidson and the Ispaclaria, which is the second in the trilogy that started last year with uh, Alicia Davidson and the Letters of Fire. By the way, when is the third book <laughs> scheduled to come out? Because I already read this, and you know, people, again, who are reading something like this are <laughs> going to want the next one. When's the next one coming out? Right, yeah, well, hopefully up to the publisher. It's, it's ready, you know, we've been spacing them out, so I think it's been like, you know, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. Right. And hopefully the Zad Hashem again, another Hanukkah. Okay, great. Uh, so it is, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a, great, um, a great read, a uh, great book for, for young adults, children, you know, any, any adult, and adults, anybody. And adults, I would say, absolutely. 90, because... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I also in believe that way it is similar to Harry Potter. You can read it no matter what it right. is. Right. And I also believe that uh, that parents who give books to their children or recommend books to their children should read it also, no matter what age level. They should just know what their children are reading in general. Um, but in this right. case, it's the children who should read it so they know what their parents are reading. <laughs> right. You know, it's like you said before, I mean, I just like the comparison, although I wholly understand it. The people are calling it a kosham, the Mahajan Harry Potter. <laughs> um and, you know, if you've read it, so you know that I dislike it because, I mean, on one hand, we're trying to go away from all of that. But, I mean, it's certainly easier to understand what Alicia Davidson and what is the fire is in three words if you say Jewish Harry Potter. Um, I, I think but, also it's in the, in the sense of just um, saying the, the type of book and the type of read. I think that gives it, you know, the idea also, not necessarily the, uh, the actual parts or, you know, of it. It's a totally different set of circumstances, different things. But like you said, it gives it an idea of, uh, you know, what, what kind of read it is. Uh, I, what I would say, though, is, though, you know, depending on where you are, you can, you can have absolutely no prior knowledge. You don't have to be religious, you know, be it secular. And I've had a lot of non-Jews have been thrilled reading it because it, it just comes up more like science fiction. But the more you know, the more you can even appreciate what's going on. Yes. You can be like really from a non-Jew to a venerated rabbi reading this. Um, right. That's what you should do when you're basing your stuff on factual information. Um, that would be, like, of course, a big difference than where you just scratch the surface of any of these other fantasy or make-believe books. Right. This is all really sourced material. M- most people, I would say, and I, I agree with you, uh, whatever uh, level of uh, servants you're in and knowledge that you're in, uh, most people don't know about a lot of the things that you mentioned, a lot of the topics, a lot of the... Uh, issues, a lot of the learning that you mentioned in here, and I think it's a fascinating way to learn about it, because it's not something that's covered in most uh, uh, religious schools, up to uh, kolels, it, you know, it's not really uh, discussed, but it, it can be, and it can be uh, brought out in a way that teaches our people what our religion is about, because uh, there are so many people who look for these type of things elsewhere because they don't know about it in Judaism and to read this and to you know you base your book on the Jewish calendar so right away people are feeling that that you know closeness and uh, the, again the topics I said before 
it, it gives a person... Or a even f- the abracadabra, which I say every time. It, it, people exactly. Think that's art. No, it's us, yeah. right? It is. It's <laughs> us. So people are stealing from us left, right, and center, <laughs> and we're running around to every... The grass is greener and everyone's grass Right. And this was really an attempt to bring everything and say, whoa, you know, wow, we've got the real thing, and we got it. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, and I have to say, with Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling does that, too. She distorts things, takes them, she took things that are totally ours. The, the killing curse came from... Right, right. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So this is this is great. Uh, M. R. Atar is uh, your name on the series of books. It's available on Amazon. uh, Ask in the in the bookstores. Manorabooks.com. Direct from the publisher is also Manorabooks.com. Manorabooks. Right, it's Manorabooks.com, I believe. Right. Right. Manorabooks.com. By the way. Uh, as I always do, I want to thank uh, for a second Stuart Schnee, who uh, is a, um, a public relations expert, and he uh, brought me, brought you to me, and vice versa. So I want to thank him. Uh, he does public relations all over the world, and he can be reached at stuartschnee.com, S-C-H-N-E-E. Uh, so I want to thank him for that. I always uh, feel it's appropriate to thank the people who bring us together. Uh, and uh, so I encourage everybody to go out. It's right before Hanukkah. Get the books. Um, get many copies of the books so you can all read them in the, uh, together and you don't have to wait. Uh, and, uh, you know, enjoy it. Uh, I look forward very much to reading the third one and seeing how all this... Uh, you read the second one already? Yes, yes. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. So the third one's a roller coaster. I'm warning you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because the second one wasn't uh, wasn't such a smooth ride either, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The second one's a fun one. The third one's a roller coaster. Oh, boy. You have to hold your breath. When you open that one, hold your breath. Oh, man. I hope there won't be any, um, you know, disappearing ink or any any fire coming out from the book when I open it. <laughs> Nothing like that, it's right? action pack. Excellent. Action pack. Uh, yeah. I, I want to thank you again. I, you, you had mentioned at the beginning your uh, background in TV, and, and that we could spend yeah. an entire <laughs> interview on alone because you uh, really have been in the uh, television industry for many years. Uh, we're in that, and we could talk about Jewish education. It'll have to be for another time. Right now it's talking about the book. So, again, I want to thank you for joining me this morning. I encourage yeah, everybody to you. go out and get those books, and I want to wish you a happy Hanukkah. You too. Happy Hanukkah to all. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That is uh, Rhonda Atar uh, here on JM Sunday. Matas One guest with you. Her books so far are Alicia Davidson and the Letters of Fire and Alicia Davidson and the Ispaklaria, a uh, two of the three of the trilogy. We're going to go to some more music, and then we'll be joined by our next guest, by our next guest, Professor Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University. Here is. Um, who are we playing? Who's here next? Shiratayam by Yehuda Green right here on JM Sunday.
Green with Shirat Hayam here on JM Sunday. Thanks so much, Yehuda, for that. My thanks to Rhonda Attar, who joined us before to talk about her first two books, Alicia Davidson, The Letters of Fire. No, Alicia Davidson and The Letters of Fire, and her second book in the trilogy, which just came out, Alicia Davidson and the Isbaklaria. So I encourage everybody to get those books. Great Hanukkah present, great read, and uh, something that is uh, exciting for everybody, any age, to read. I also want to, again, give a mazel tov, big mazel tov, to Shoshana Zamek and Kenny Rube on their engagement last night, and to the parents, Rochelle and Mark Zamek of Teaneck and Mira Atia and Moshe Rube of Staten Island, a great Nachum Siegel Network, JM and the AM, countless groups, mazel tov, great celebration that we um, that we are a part of, and it was, it was so nice to announce that, and very, very exciting. Very, very exciting, for sure. Uh, coming up later today, there'll be encore programs presented during the day, a great music mix. There will not be, there will not be a first edition of the court report today. Elliot Weiselberg is off for the Thanksgiving weekend holiday, but he'll return next Sunday at seven o'clock for a first run. Nachum will be back tomorrow morning, and uh, one of the things I know that he will be talking about will be the Great Jewish Unity Initiative that is going to go on in Paris, France next week during Hanukkah, which is going to include a, a concert, Let There Be Light, the Concert of Jewish Unity. We'll be talking a lot about that. I know that uh, there will be many people in the music world. Yehoram Gon is going to be there. Ohad is going to be there, and others. Um, so far, we know that Richard Joel from Yeshiva University will be joining Nachum to speak and give chizuk to the uh, Group there, it's occurring uh, about 11 months since the terrorist attacks on the Charlie Hebdo magazine and the Hyper Kosher Supermarket. 
it was not planned this way, but coincidentally, it is coming a number of weeks after the massacre in Paris a few weeks ago. And this is to show a, uh, a tremendous degree of solidarity, of unity around the Jewish world with the people of Paris. So uh, that is something Nachum will be talking about quite a bit in the next week, and then uh, we will uh, pick it up on Sunday also. My thanks to all the subs that were in last week, by the way. Thank you so much. Okay, now it is time for my next guest this morning here on JM Sunday. The uh, Yeshiva University, uh, YU Global, is uh, starting a massive open online course. And uh, we have with us the person who is uh, giving the first course in that. And he is a professor at Yeshiva University, Dr. Stephen Fine. Welcome to JM Sunday. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for joining me here today. So as I found out, uh, not only are you giving the first course, but you are also one of the people who is spearheading this YU Global program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, YU Global is YU's move into everything uh, online. And uh, in order to begin this project with a bang, YU has teamed up with Coursera, which is the premier online course purveyor for uh, the best universities in the world, and we were chosen by Coursera to be the Jewish Studies content. Well, our first course is related directly to my research, which is on um, the menorah and the Arch of Titus, and so the course that we've created is called The Arch of Titus, Rome and the Menorah. Uh, it was filmed around the world, quite literally, from the Getty Research Institute in Villa in Los Angeles to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to the Met to Jerusalem um, with scholars in conversation about um, the arch and its significance from the destruction of Jerusalem from the Korban all the way to contemporary Israel. Now, uh, before we... Absolutely. Before we talk about the course in particular, just to uh, to talk about the program again, uh, I believe that people can go to global.yu.edu to sign up for the course, which begins, I think if I'm correct, it'll start on Friday, the 4th. Our course opens on the first day of Hanukkah, on the 7th of December. okay, okay. And the best place to sign up is either through the YU site or through the Coursera site. We're expecting tens of thousands of people to find this interesting. I'm it's sure. Very, very cool. The level of, of, of expansion of our audience at, at Yeshiva University um, is quite amazing. Um, and so, yes, you can sign up through YU, which will pipe you through to Coursera, okay. or go directly to Coursera um, and see all of our global partners, which range from... Um, you know, Harvard and Yale to Tel Aviv University to anything in between. Absolutely. As you said, the major institutions of higher learning uh, have uh, all been doing this, and for YU to be a part of this is uh, no surprise at all, uh, especially in, in the area of Jewish studies. Uh, but, you know, it gives the people the opportunity to get a world-class education 
uh, at their leisure. You know, different people learn in different ways nowadays, and this is certainly a great way of um, of doing this. Professor Stephen Fine is my guest here this morning. Now, you are a history professor at Yeshiva University, and I know that you have a particular chair, and if I even try to say it, I'm going to probably mess it up, but it's the Dean Pinkos Churgan Professor of Jewish History. Did I get that right? Pinchas Churgan. Pinchas Horgan, okay. Great. It's perfectly I, good Hebrew. Pinchas Horgan was the founder of the Mizrahi Teachers College at Yeshiva University, um, which became the university. And then he went on in the 1950s to found um, Bar-Ilan University. Ah, oh, okay. Now I make the connection. Sorry. When you when I read it in English uh, from a uh, you know a quick blurb here, uh, I did not make that connection. But thank you. And you are a director of the Center for Israel Studies. You uh, teach uh, archaeology, art history, Judaic studies. So let's talk about the particular um, the particular class that you're going to be teaching. Um, most people in the Jewish world, I'm sure. Are familiar with the Arch of Titus, at least the one that we normally see. As you know, and I guess you'll be talking about it, there are two arches of Titus, uh, a lesser known one and the main one that we always talk about. So you're, you're going to be focusing on the main one, I assume. Well, sure, but the new one that was just discovered last year yes. at the Circus Maximus in Rome um, shows up in the course um, because it's brand new information. One of the things I'm trying to do through this course is on a sort of general education level, bring people into the scholarly process, how we know what we know and how we see what we see. Uh, as it was my courses on the, uh, at Yeshiva University, which are always about how to think and how to discover and how to discern um, the truth about the past, or at least what we can understand about right. the past. In fact, I'm teaching a course right now to undergraduates on this um, Arch of Titus theme, and using my course at YU to give uh, as, the, as a test place for the material that's going on on the Coursera course. Interesting. So very exciting. Now, and for my students, it's really exciting because they're seeing the films as they're being made. Right, exactly. And I think also because, like I said, the general world is aware of what the Arch of Titus represents, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, it is also interesting to have a more in-depth course about it and in-depth information and from a leading researcher, which you are. When was the Arch of Titus actually built? A decade after the uh, great parade commemorating the victory of Titus. A decade. Took place. So the parade took place in 71. Right. And the arch was built around 81. Okay. Right so after Titus died. About 10 years later. Now, we all know if somebody asks about the Arch of Titus, uh, it, it depicts, uh, some, some scenes on there, which we'll talk about in a second, but it's supposed to be where the, um, the troops marched through triumphantly, uh, through that arch and, um, and, and showed the population the spoils of war. Is that basically why it was erected? Well, Romans have a very, very clear way of doing a parade at the end of a war. Um, we'll recognize it by, say, the way Americans marched through the Arc de Triomphe in Paris at the end of World War II. Okay. This is a, this goes all the way back to the Romans. And so it's a triumphal march. It's a way of bringing the gods of whoever's been conquered under Roman domination, making them part of the Roman pantheon. They were polytheists, you know. Right. Um, and bringing their trophies to Rome. Now, if you were Roman, you would see it as restoring the peace, the Pax Romana. Uh-huh, okay. Okay, but that's... 
Not not what the uh, not what the losers would look at it as. No, they generally didn't see it that way. And what's interesting <laughs> about our case is that um, we are a very literate people. Yes. And wrote and wrote and wrote about all of this in a way that Gauls and North Africans and the rest of them didn't, or at least it's not preserved. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at Jewish studies in the terms in terms of the Roman world, you've got two voices: the the Romans and the Jews. Where right. usually you just have the Romans. Right. Right, interesting. And of course, there's the history of Josephus. I mean, there's the history that Josephus wrote, which uh, you know is a whole other topic. But he wrote about that time, um, so sure. we have information there. One of the uh, major aspects, again, of this uh, particular arch that everybody seems to know about is that there's a depiction of a menorah on the arch. And uh, it's something that you worked on over the last uh, number of years. A few years ago, you were uh, head of, I guess, the digital, um, uh, what's the official name, the Digital Reconstruction Program? No, the Arch of Titus Digital Restoration Project. That's it. It's true. That's us. Yes. We discovered the original yellow paint because all Roman sculpture was painted, something that people didn't know just 15 or 20 years right, ago. Which is amazing because, of course, with time and erosion, you have all that go- uh, gone away. But under uh, all that uh, eroded, but with your project, you were able to discover through certain photographic techniques and chemical analysis uh, the, the colorings that are still there. You can still catch some of it to know what it was like. Look, we've all painted the walls in our houses and noticed that there was some sort of hot pink or blue way under there under a few coats of paint. Right, right. right. And so, and it's never all gone, even after you scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. And so every so often you can find just a little bit. But the, the ramifications of color on the arch um, panel, which shows the spoils bringing brought in, being brought into Rome, is that it creates this level of vibrance. It's not the sort of white shadow in the background anymore. Right. It's a vibrant scene of Romans very clearly pointing out to their populace that we got those creeps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. right. Now, it must have been uh, quite interesting for you to approach the government, having you know, coming from Yeshiva University, a bastion of Jewish uh, thought and, and knowledge and history and studies, and say, hey, we, we'd like to check out your arch. How did that work? How did you get past what must have been a difficult time? Well, look, number one, my experience is that when I walk into any institution, whether it be the uh, Ministry of, of, of Culture in Rome or whether it be uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art or anything in between, all we have to do is walk in and say, hi, here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. In other words, as Yeshiva University, we're number three university in the city of New York. Right. And everyone's ready to work with us. That's number one. And so there's no issue of from Jewish, Jewish content. Right. Jewish content is as important to the world as any other content. Exactly. And, and sometimes as a community, we sort of forget how central we are. Uh, but my experience, at least, is it's really easy. In fact, when we were at the Arch, the um, local um, person in charge of that region of the, of the Roman Forum um, decided that she needed to bring pizza for everybody while we were working. And knowing that it was me, she stopped off in the ghetto and made sure it was kosher. <laughs> in other words, we're dealing with such a level of right. decency right. that our team, of the, the Germans who were involved, felt like they were doing a kind of tikkun. Uh, Interesting. In, in being involved with us and the menorah. Right. It was such a good group of people. Now, it's not always that way with every project. 
Um, it, because I deal with archaeology in Israel, there's always politics involved, and sometimes really ugly politics. Right, I'm sure. But it's not <laughs> with this Archivitis project. Rome right. and Italy have been wonderful. Excellent. Now, when we talk about the menorah, for instance, there's always been this uh, controversy or thought as to what is actually depicted there. Is it the actual menorah that uh, was in the Beit HaMikdash? Is it a replica? Is it uh, uh, something with a different base because the base broke on the way to Rome? Uh, we don't seem to really know because we don't have any other proof, or do we? Well, look, this questioning of the menorah on the Arch of Titus goes back to Moses Mendelssohn in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. And he thought, and he had a problem. All these secularizing Jews were looking at the arch and learning about it in school, and it was standard to the to the larger Roman, excuse me, German and French cultures in which these people lived. Mm-hmm. And they looked at this thing, and it didn't look like what Chazal said. Right. Okay. Now that created a trust problem for his audience in rabbis. Well, if, that, if there's the menorah, and it doesn't look like what rabbis say, so what's, what? So who are those rabbis? Right, what is it? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jews always want to feel inferior in regard to the majority culture. It's what minorities do with majority culture. Right. <laughs> and so um, Moses Mendelssohn set out to undo the arch menorah for all sorts of, of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, rabbis in the, 19th, in the 20th century came back to this problem. And they said, wait, what are you making this the symbol of the Jewish state for? It has these animals on the base. What's going on here? The zodiac symbols, right? Well, no, they're they're really just uh, animals that everyone in the Roman world thought existed somewhere. Oh, okay. Okay? It's sort of like people in 1900 who believed that there were brontosauruses romping around in Uganda. You mean they're not? There aren't? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In other words... These people thought that all these mythological creatures existed. Okay. So, and, and they were standard to the culture, like making pictures of Mickey Mouse. Right. Now, the problem is, is this, and this is a really long problem, but I'm going to go into it really quickly. Rabbis hated this arch menorah because it didn't fit what rabbis assumed the menorah is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, there's a very long masora in, in Jewish visual culture of Menorahs with rounded branches, right. and 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 Josephus and Philo talk about that. Even though Chazal don't, it was sort of a a a, um, a tradition a tradition that no one discussed until the, essentially the Lubavitcher Rebbe reread the Rambam and his son, right? right. Avram ben Rambam. Right. Mm-hmm. This was not a, a problem. Everyone assumed the branches were round until the 1980s, really, and. And even that sort of sidestep at the Lubavitcher, at, at, at the Rambam, mm-hmm. no one had made that sidestep before. Right. Okay? So, everyone assumed the branches were brown and the arch menorah's branches are around. The problem is this base thing. Okay? And, and if it looked like that, it must be against what the rabbi said. Right. Not only that, all of the depictions of the menorah from the Second Temple period have different bases. Yes. All different shapes, mm-hmm. sometimes with three legs, sometimes solid, sometimes square, sometimes no base at all. Why? Because the Chumash does not describe what the base looks like. Right, exactly. Right? And so it's like open. Now, it, there's a, a number of ways to take the, the arch menorah base, but my take is that, no, it's not something that Romans added. is a good bad. After all, we now know that the 
face that's depicted there has exactly the same color as the branches that are depicted there. Right. And so so it was there's no the attempt time. to separate them. Right. Of course. And I, so, I mean, you know, yeah. So who, let me finish this once. Oh, yes. So the bo- the bottom line is that the um the second it's likely that there are a number of different menorahs in the temple, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if this one went to the last of the Hasmoneans or to Herod, uh, who who made this thing. And when Romans made the arch, they said that's the pretty one. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's so much to discuss about just that one thing, but for the purpose of the course, you know, it's part of it, but you're looking at the entire um, depiction and the history of what's shown sure. there. Uh, now, am I correct or not in, in you know, what I know? There's also a, a um, not a picture, but, you know, a, 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 an indication of what the shulchan looked like. Isn't there a... There's an image of the table. Right, and yet the menorah has become the central focus. When I, I guess because the symbol of the menorah is so, you know, important to the Jewish world and the, you know, the the the, the miracle well, of Hanukkah and everything. Was too. But exactly, it's, and yet it's not treated. It's never been treated the same way. Like, oh look, we know what the shulchan looks like. You know? Right. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I know the course will go into that. Uh, why are you global starting the first day of Hanukkah? Uh, when you were in, and, and Dr. Stephen Fine is my guest here this morning. We have a couple of minutes left. When um, when you were in, when you were there studying it, um, I'm sure you must have thought about, and I, maybe it's in your course, about what a lot of people say. Maybe in the Vatican archives that maybe the Vatican has some things. After all, it looks like they, you know, certain things are brought over here. Uh, any any thoughts about that at all? We, yeah, it's not true. You don't think there's anything there at all? In fact, let me tell you that the claims of stuff being at the Vatican don't show up really until the 1960s. Right. Well, it's a response to the Second Vatican Council. I can trace it to the particular rabbi and the particular people in Brooklyn who spread it. Um, it's an urban myth. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't things in Rome in the first century, second century, third century, fourth century, right. fifth century. Um, the, the Christians as well uh, claimed that they had the Ark of the Covenant and the menorah at a church called St. John of the Lateran right. in mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But when they went and looked, they said, there ain't no menorah Not here. There, right. And they were done with that one. Right. And well, then in the 18th century, they said, oh, that thing that we've been saying, the Ark of the Covenant, it isn't. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but this focus on the menorah has to do with Zionism. It has to do with a, a certain kind of Hasidic story and belief of course. that things were in Rome. Um, it goes back to a whole series of stories at the, at the turn of the century. Um, there's a fellow named Udo Rosenberg who wrote wonderful stories that unfortunately people actually believe to be true right. about the Maharal from Prague and about the uh, the stones of the high priest in London right, that the course. Maharal could have visited. In other mm-hmm. words, these are all folk tales um, that have found their way into a kind of mainstream for all sorts of good reasons. But let me just finish that by saying that when I taught at the Midwestern University, I also had students who believed that under my kippah I keep my horns. Well, of so course. human beings can believe all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's and, interesting. And this is one of them. You know, uh, you just mentioned that one, and I'm sure you know why uh, that group would, or many non-Jews believe that we have horns. It comes from the Torah of Moshe, I believe, you know, having um, horns of light coming out of his head. 
And, and in the ancient world, that was a that was a mila. That was right. considered a great thing to have flowers coming out of your hair. A- absolutely. So you know why not? You should have you yeah. know just one time. You should go in there and put something under your yarmulke. So when they ask you, you take it off and show something. That'd be funny, you know. <laughs> no, you know, you know what? It didn't take much. I remember teaching intro to Judaism, mm-hmm. and I had uh, very nice mixed student groups. And I looked at them and I said, you know, I've got to tell you, there are no horns under here. And since I have very little hair, you can see it. And my African American students do not have tails. <laughs> right. And that was the end of the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. But the menorah thing at the Vatican is is, is uh, at, at a similar level. You know, the, to the point that the Antiquities Authority sent people to look around the Vatican. Now, the best thing about the menorah at the Vatican stuff is that someone who's never been there and has no access could always say, but they have another basement. <laughs> right, of course. And so there's course. no winning. There's you never no know winning. about that. I'll tell you. Just no, you do know about that, but people with beliefs will not give them up. No, they, I know. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you know, it sounds like from this conversation that not only, of course, you're very knowledgeable about all this, but you can present this in a way that I am sure will be very exciting. I'm sure your students in your classes enjoy your classes very much because you can present this in a in a um, in an entertaining way a little bit in a in an interesting way that will uh, keep them going. How long is the course online? How many hours sessions or whatever it is? It's six. You can you can do it at whatever speed you want. Number okay. one, there's about four or five hours of of viewing. It's a lot of stuff. Um, we were lucky because um, museum curators, professionals, rabbis all over the country were willing to do uh, talks about all of this with us. Okay. And so we created what we called field trips. That's, you can go to field trips to the Jewish Museum and talk about the Archititis, and another one to the Met and talk about the right, Archititis, of course, and of another course. one to Wilshire Boulevard Temple in L.A. and, and talk totally. about the Archititis. Excellent. Excellent. And so the line of the course is that wherever you go, you can find the Archititis, and, and and that's the challenge for our students, to see the world a little differently than they might have otherwise, and that's the fun of it. Excellent. My thank you again to Professor Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University and the YU Global Program. It begins next week. Go to global.yu.edu. I suggest strongly that you sign up for this course and take it. I'm looking forward to it very, very much. And it's very uh, timely, of course, with Hanukkah. So, you know, go and sign up for that. It's free, and uh, hopefully there will be many, many more courses added to this in the future. Professor Fine, thank you again so much for joining me on JM Sunday, and I want to wish you and your family a happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah to all. Thank you very much. It is uh, time to wrap up the show here today, and again, my thanks to my guests, uh, Professor Stephen Fine of Yeshiva University, and to uh, Rhonda Attar, author of the... Uh, Two of the three books in her trilogy so far about Alicia Davidson. Mazel Tov again to Shoshana Zamek on her recent engagement to um, to Kenny Rube. Mazel Tov to the Zamek and the Rube families. Nachum will be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Uh, great programming all day long here on the stream on JM Sunday. We'll see you next week. As we head into the uh, Jewish Unity program that Nachum will be hosting in Paris during Hanukkah. Have a great day, everyone. See you next week right here on JM Sunday.